Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. He makes sure that our stories are told. I thank you for being the voice of Black America, Roland. Hey, I love y'all. All momentum we have now, we have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be skate. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? In December 22nd, 2022, I'm attorney Robert Patillo sitting in for Roland Martin, who is on vacation till January 3rd, 2023. Here's what's coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky delivered a historic address to a joint session of Congress yesterday, uh, detailing his plans to fight back against Russian aggression. We talked to counterterrorism expert just back from the fight of Ukraine, Malcolm Nance. Also, the January 
26th committee still has us waiting. We are still awaiting the final report on what exactly the January 6th committee uncovered, not just on the actions of President Trump, but on the actions of members of his cabinet, members of Congress, and what we can do to stop this from happening again in the future. We're going to break that down with our panel in just a moment. Also, yesterday we brought you the case out of Louisiana of a grain company uh, that sought to build a grain distribution facility in a historically black community. Uh, we're bringing you the other side of that uh, story today, speaking with Greenfield Construction LLC to hear their side of the story on why exactly uh, this grain facility needs to go in this community. Also. Black conservatives have been growing in recent years. Uh, we saw in 2020, uh, Pre uh, President Trump getting nearly 20% of black male votes. We want to talk about what the plans are for the future of the black conservative movement with the president and founder of the Black Conservative Federation, Mr. Deontay Johnson. Also, in the Our Market segment, Black Heifer Farms founder, Adriana uh, Farmer C. Stanley, is here to explain the importance of black farming in the black community. Of course, I've been working with black farmers the last few years with the Rainbow Push uh, Coalition, our Black Farmers Coalition. So it's crucial that we get this information out there as more people return to agriculture so that we can feed our own communities. And, and finally, we're going to break down some stories in the news that we were not able to get to yesterday because we want to make sure that we are keeping you informed and also entertained. It's time to bring the funk on Rolling Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the find. And when it breaks, he's right on time and it's rolling. Now, of course, we've all been waiting over the past 18 months for the final uh, report from the January 6th committee. Of course, we all saw what happened on uh, at the January 6th insurrection, the attempted overthrow of the United States government uh, by the losing party in the election, something we've never seen in America. Those who of us who watched it live um, could not believe that this was happening in America and not in some other country. Uh, but since that period of time, we've seen many on the political right try to turn this into uh, just a protest at the Capitol. Just some people who are walking around doing tours, uh, trying to downplay this. And we've even seen uh, Congress people like Marjorie Taylor Greene insist that in order for Kevin McCarthy to become Speaker of the House, that they provide, quote unquote, justice for the January 6th protesters, as they call them, saying that these people are being mistreated by law enforcement. We've even seen hashtags uh, say her name for Ashley Babbitt, um, the insurrectionist who was killed at the Capitol trying to break through a door, uh, who was heroically shot down uh, before she could attack Congress people. But because of this, we need to find out 
Why exactly have we not gotten this uh, hearing, uh, gotten this information yet? What is it going to take and what are we going to find out? I want to bring our panel in early to talk about this. We're joined by Erica Savage, founder of the Reframed Brain, also Rishay Colbert, founder of the Black Women's View, and also Dr. Greg Carr, Department of Afro-American Studies at Howard University, to discuss this. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Carr, I want to start with you. Why do you think it's taking so long to get this report out from the January 6th committee? And what should we expect to come out when this information is released? Well, since we know the American public doesn't read, I don't expect that there'll be much of a, a needle, even with the 160-page preliminary report released, how many people have actually read it. Uh, there's the titillating stuff. I mean, something breaking today about Cassidy Hutchison, the White House aide, who was attempted to be strong-armed by a lawyer for, for Trump and so forth and so on, that, that'll be titillating. But I guess, I, you know, the reason that it's taking so long is because, you know, you've got to have some type of substantive momentum to get to the real issue, which is whether or not somebody's going to be prosecuted. So all eyes, as we've been saying now for the last couple of weeks, are going to turn to Jack Smith, the special counsel, who's been appointed to oversee investigations by the Department of Justice. We'll see who gets charged. You know, we see that, you know, the, the, finally, everything kind of focused around Trump. This preliminary report seems to indicate um, we didn't see Jenny Thomas brought up, for example. I don't know whether or not her, you know, friend Liz Cheney may weighed in on that end. But it looks like it's focusing on Trump. So it could just be politics. You know? Stop the guy from running in 24 if you can. Well, Erica, on that point, you know, the January 6th committee was convened in order to find out exactly what happened. What were the security breakdowns that led uh, to this taking place? We all saw video of Capitol Police officers opening gates to allow the protesters in. We all saw uh, that this was organized. We, we need to find out, well, who paid for all these people to come to the Capitol? We, we know it, uh, hotels in the uh, D.C. area are not exactly cheap, and to have these people come in from the rural areas of the country uh, being bust in, flown in. Oh, we thought the committee was going to get to the bottom of all that, but it seems to just be a question of getting Trump. Will the American people have any faith in the outcomes of this uh, of this study, of this uh, investigation, if it's only an indictment on Trump and not an explanation of the systemic failures that led to it? Yeah, good to see you um, again, Robert. Glad to um, you too. be in your company once again. Um, but I will say um, around this, I think that, you know, to the, Dr. Carr's point, you know, unless it's really kind of like tightly into a certain um, number of characters, it really doesn't capture the public. Um, one of the things that I was really intrigued by, um, of course, as all of us have been following this, is really the way that um, the right will definitely take hold of um, hashtags, words that we've used to really... Um, speak our pain and to make people um, get eyeballs on um, campaigns that are specific to Black people. Uh, and so when I heard that say your name like that was trending, you know, I just received something from the African American Policy Institute specifically around celebrating the anniversary of Say Your Name. And then all of those mothers and family members alike who have been, um, you know, uh, you know, forever hurt because they've lost their child, their daughter, specifically due to gun violence um, on that of police. So just wanted to kind of get that in to say that I think that the public already has um, an idea of what happened on January 6th. We saw it before our own eyes. Um, it was really good to see this summer that there were people that were interested in getting more details and actually engaging us a lot further into understanding 
what led up to that and then some of the things that happened after the attack and the people that were affected, you know, right there in Georgia, um, Ms. Ruby Johnson and her daughter, um, Shay Moss, uh, her name is the name that Ms. Johnson talked about. She is afraid to say her name in public because of all of the backlash that happened with the 2020 election deniers um, and uh, their people being effectively um, targeted um, by the Trump administration. So all of that to really say, if Trump is one of the only names that we hear right now, we know that this is something that has been happening for quite some time. He was the leader um, specifically of that. There were definitely people that were there to help. So I would just say, I mean, this has taken, it'll be now a year coming up to 22 years now coming up to 2023. You know, for people to just understand the state that we're in, that we are definitely holding on to um, as much democracy as we possibly can. And I, I think the final report, um, we've already felt what it's like to have people that continually are high, hostile towards community, towards um, people having uh, freedom. So I think what the report will do is just memorialize what we already know. And really, I hope, help motivate people to get more involved and engaged on um, voting, especially with the visit that I know we'll talk about here shortly from President Zelensky of Ukraine. They're fighting for their own land in, in the middle of a war right now. And, and Reese, I wanted to, to kind of look at look at the other actors that we know were involved in January 6th that we really have heard no testimony about. You know, Josh Hawley, the senator from Missouri, who spoke at the rally and was revving up the crowd, you no know, fist bumping them. Uh, we haven't heard any, any investigation into exactly what his connection was and uh, whether or not he will be charged for inciting the insurrection, as Trump has been. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, where we have video of her giving tours around the camp uh, around the Capitol, the insurrection is while the Capitol was closed, but we haven't heard charges being brought against her for her role in the insurrection. We haven't found out just how deep this MAGA movement goes inside of the Capitol Police, inside of the National Guard, um, whether or not these people are effectively running a Vichy government. Do you think it's a mistake to simply focus on President Trump and not really dive into what's going on with the rest of these figures who are still going to be part of American politics? Well, I don't think that they simply focused on Trump. I think that the January 6th committee had a number of charges in order to clear up. Number one, the biggest charge was to refute the notion that the election was stolen. That was a huge thing that when they were convened back in uh, June of 2021, there was still a lot of, of election deniers, and particularly coming from the Republican side, about the legitimacy of the Biden-Harris administration. And so we see that they unequivocally moved the needle on that because every single election denier went down in flames this past midterms. And I don't think that that would have happened so forcefully and so uh, thoroughly without the work of the January 6th committee. But I think that it was also important for the January 6th committee to establish that Trump, knowing that the election was legitimate and that he lost, still went on with a propaganda campaign, a disinformation campaign, to try to hold on to power. And he had many allies in that fight. I don't I don't think that the, the the charge of the committee is to prosecute people. They have recommended Trump for charges, but they don't have to prosecute every single player in this in this scheme to try to steal the the administration, not the White House, but to try to steal a second term for Trump. So I think that they have accomplished their goal. Obviously, there are some people that are going to be dug on dug in in their opinions about whether or not this was stolen. But I think they've done some really important work, and I don't think that they left much on the table.
Well, just kind of, kind of, uh, uh, as a response to that, I think that we're in a dangerous position when you have someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene from my state of Georgia, uh, who is very clearly making it uh, known that in order for Kevin McCarthy to be Speaker of the House, she said Kevin McCarthy is going to have to give her a significant amount of power. She's going to be the probably the chairman of a committee. She'll be able to convene hearings, uh, drag people before Congress. She'll have subpoena power, etc. Do you think it's a mistake allowing these people to still be part of our government knowing what they did on January 6th and not prosecuting them. Hell yeah, it was a mistake, but guess what? She got reelected. So <laughs> we still have what we call a democracy. And at the end of the day, she got reelected in red Georgia up against a very um, capable and 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 uh, credentialed opponent, Marcus Flowers. So, you know, that's what the people chose. And at the end of the day, the Republicans are going to be a shit show circus with or without Marjorie Taylor Greene. They have a basket of deplorables in the House that are unserious about legislating. They already telegraphed that they're going to shut down the government. They're going to have these circus of hearings. And so she's just one more clown in the Republican circus. And I think that she gets a lot more credit than what she deserves. Because if she wasn't in the backwoods of Georgia, nobody would even see her in Congress. And there are other scandalous people out there, too. So I think Marjorie Taylor Greene, she can huff and puff and blow your house down. But at the end of the day, the Republicans really aren't going to get much done with the Democratic Senate and a Democratic president. And, Erica, on that point, we're seeing a schism taking place even in the MAGA movement in the Republican Party, where we have uh, Marjorie <laughs> Taylor Greene, who supported McCarthy, then you have Lauren Boebert, and them two are going back and forth in a, a trailer park battle uh, that you usually see on the Jerry Springer show. Uh, you know, you've got McConnell in the Senate supporting the $1.7 trillion budget. Then you have uh, mm -hmm. the more far-right-wing people like Rand Paul being against that. What are our chances of actually being able to govern uh, while we still have all these insurrectionists in the in the Congress, when you see the Republican Party starting to cannibalize itself from the inside out. Yeah, all those things are very true. But this takes me back to 2010, I think it was, and that was the advent of the Tea Party. We have seen this sorry ass power grabbing. I love my skin color bullshit before, and I think that this really underscores Teresi's point of everything she says, the demand that it places on the vote. Because when you look inside of Congress, when you look inside to see, you know, those 435 members that have to go up for election every two years, so they're pretty much actively campaigning. She has campaigned about who she is. Not much is going to change. The response is then, what do we do about that? Because all of the things that you name, Congress has the power of the purse. So you mean to tell me in the culture of get your bag, you won't let somebody steal your bag? All of that to say this is why we spend so much time on this platform really talking about the importance of being involved in your local, state, and your federal elections. But most importantly, get involved in what's happening in your neighborhood. When you have people, like Reese brought up, you had a great candidate, Marcus Flowers. Marcus Flowers had, um, he laid out who he was, who he wasn't what effectively he wanted to do for the state, um, things that he saw with Marjorie Green Taylor. He said, you know, time's up for that. But people didn't show up in a way that actually echoed to say that this is, we're actually on the side of democracy. So, you know, to the point that we're all raising, this again is why it is important to know what is happening in your community so that when we get people like this that do decide that they want to go and um, run around uh, Washington, D.C., that they claim to hate so much, but they love being here so much at the same time, 
that then that is our then toolkit to say, well, no, they have people that are funding their wildness because it works for them. What are we doing in response to that besides getting on social media and complaining about it, having hot takes about it? We have to be actively involved and engaged in ensuring that people like this don't continue to run amok um, in a place that we effectively pay their salaries. You know, I think my, my fear is that if we if this committee is just about Trump and people see it as a question of getting Trump, if you put Trump in jail, he becomes that martyr-type figure. And if we don't go into who paid for all these people to be here, who organized it, who got the permits, uh, who was working with the Capitol Police, what members of Congress were involved, that this will become the new normal that this will become how every election is settled. There was a point in time where uh, we were used to candidates conceding after races. That's a thing of the past now. Um, there was a point in time where you know, people come together for that first 100 days or that first 100 years of administration uh, and try to push through an American agenda. That doesn't happen anymore. There was a point in time where they would say, well, the president gets their Supreme Court justices. They get their uh, cabinet picks. That doesn't happen anymore. I'm afraid this becomes the new normal if we don't root this out. And that's one of the dangers of the January 6th committee if we do, uh, if it's simply a question of Trump, Trump is a figurehead of this movement. These people existed before Trump; they'll exist after Trump. Uh, so we have to ensure that we are de detailing this because even a candidate, a candidate like Herschel Walker, lost by 1.5 points. Uh, Dr. Oz lost by two points. Carrie Lake lost by a point and a half in Arizona. So it's not that this is a landslide against them. There's still a big portion of the country that agrees with this way of thinking. We're going to go to a quick break. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered live, streaming live on the Black Star Network. We'll be right back. On the next A Balanced Life with me, Dr. I am on screen and I am representing what a black man is to the entire world that's going to see this. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. 
It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And this might be the only black man, a representation of a black man that they see. Right. So I am responsible. Right. For how they see black men. And it's my responsibility to, if I am not playing an upstanding, honorable, of someone with a strong principle and moral core, to make sure that this character is so specific. Right. That it is him, not black men. And I wish that more actors would realize how important uh, their position is as an actor, as an actor of color playing people of color on screen. Because there are people that see us all over the world in, in, in these different right. images that we portray. And not everyone knows black people to know. Yes. That's not all. by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives, and we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. You want me to do something crazy, but I don't know what to do. I'd rather just sit here. Hi, this is Cheryl Lee Ralph, and you are watching Roland Martin unfiltered. I mean, could it be any other way? Really? It's Roland Martin. Yesterday, we brought you a story of a Louisiana community that was fighting back against a uh, grain company that wanted to uh, build a distribution center in their community. Of course, we want to be fair and balanced and get both sides of the story uh, on this case. So we're joined now by Carl Connors, the strategic advisor to Greenfield uh, LLC and managing member of the Caravener, a, uh, a change agency. Uh, Carl, how are you doing this afternoon? Good evening. Thank you for having me. And, and thank you so much for joining us, because we talked to the community yesterday about this issue, uh, about the construction of this uh, uh, grain distribution center. Can you talk a little bit about why it needs to be in this community and kind of the history of it? Yes. So thank you. Thanks again for having me. And what, I'll start by saying that, you know, Greenfield is a grain export facility. Uh, so it, it's been described as a number of other in another number of other ways, but it literally is a tra transportation facility for soy corn uh, and wheat. Uh, and as we uh, look at the history of how it got to Wallace and why Wallace, uh, Greenfield at its core believes that, you know, there are transformational ways that communities like Wallace can uh, become 
more uh, relevant in what kinds of businesses come to them and how they actually uh, uh, can revitalize their areas. Because as you well know, across the country, there are other areas similar to this one with historically disadvantaged individuals uh, who have often gotten what's been given to them as opposed to what they may like. And from the very beginning, Greenfield has gone into the community in Wallace and Edgard, spoken with the residents there to talk to them about, you know, how Greenfield uh, could show up in that community in a way that helped them uh, to revitalize and be able to keep more of their kids literally uh, in town as opposed to feeling as if they had to leave uh, for prosperity. And uh, the other aspects of Greenfield that have been really attractive to the members of the community, and I get it in conversations that I have all the time with residents there, uh, and, and it was driven home particularly by one of the pastors there, Pastor Cory Baptiste, in a recent conversation, you know, that uh, he himself had gone off uh, from Wallace uh, post high school graduation and was gone for about 20 years before he made his way back to the area. And it was primarily because of the opportunities that didn't exist there. Uh, now they have an opportunity to participate in a greener, safer job that has a, is a well-paying job uh, that for them really matters, right? Because uh, they, they don't want to sacrifice their health for prosperity. Uh, and uh, they are very much interested in this transformational green economy that is coming. And as an agricultural facility at heart, uh, Greenfield would be providing that. Um, in our conversations, as I said from the beginning with the community, you know, we asked those members of the community what uh, mattered most to them, right? And you know, how could a company show up in a way that was beneficial to the efforts that they had going on? Uh, they talked about jobs, economic development, of course, uh, and then they also spoke to uh, education uh, and healthcare access and culture and heritage preservation. Uh, and from the conversations that we've had, and there have been, you know, well over 40 meetings uh, and over 500 individuals talked with in that community uh, by Greenfield representatives, uh, and we've taken what they've said to us and tried to put together partnerships where we could uh, and are working on other partnerships to enhance those things that they told to us. Uh, one of the main issues that have been uh, plaguing that community, has been plaguing that community, has been the education system and uh, lack of opportunities once kids graduate from the local high school. So for two years now, Greenfield has provided scholarship opportunities for kids at that high school to go on to the local uh, regional community college to be trained for jobs in this new green economy. Uh, those kids who are participating in those scholarship programs uh, are guaranteed a job at Greenfield once it's permitted and opened, but they don't have to work for Greenfield. So we literally are just trying to make sure that they are job ready. Uh, and the hope is, of course, that we will uh, build the facility and that they can come and work for us, but they're not obligated to. Uh, along those lines, you know, we're also looking at how we can train others who are, are beyond high school, who just may want a, a different career or to switch from an older uh, facility uh, in the area that isn't as technologically advanced as the Greenfield Export Facility will be. Uh, and so we've had meetings with the community. Wallace, uh, as you may know, is a house has about 95 or 98 households in it. We had a community meeting there, and 78 uh, people showed up for that meeting. Uh, and they were very much in support of 
greenfield and it being built, and primarily, again, because there are, there are hopes that these greener, safer jobs put them in a place where they can stabilize their uh, loss of their, their kids leaving the community, but have them there in a place uh, and working a career that doesn't harm them long term. All right, so for, uh, uh, yes. Oh, well, well, I just I just want to answer the question because I understand the economic aspects of it. There's always this need for economic development, for bringing jobs to an area, but you always have to balance that against the potential environmental and health uh, risk of it. What sort of environmental assessments have been done, and how can you promise to the community that they won't be sacrificing their health for jobs? That's a very good question, and I appreciate you asking it. And, uh, you know, of course, with projects like this, uh, you do studies, and we've used the EPA's environmental screen, EJ screening process, uh, to do a, a robust analysis of the environmental or potential environmental impacts that a uh, projects like this could have on that community. Uh, and primarily, you know, the air pollution, noise, sound, those types of aspects of a project matter to the people who live in that community. Uh, and the robust work that we have done to study those aspects have shown that there will be minimal impact on the community in those areas, primarily because of the technology that will be used uh, to build this facility. There has not been a grain export facility built uh, since the 70s, right? and uh, certainly um, you know, there have been other grain elevators built uh, recently in the in the last 10 years, one, one or two, actually. Uh, the technology that this facility will use is even going to surpass those. Um, a lot of the aspects of concern would be around dust and emissions. Well, in this facility, the technology is such that uh, the conveyor belts will be covered or enclosed uh, along the way, and there'll be aspiration systems that will, if anything does escape, it will be returned back into that system at the point of escape uh, as opposed to down the line, right? And so uh, this is not uh, something that has been seen, certainly in Louisiana. Uh, and so we are very uh, enthusiastic about uh, how this will be able to provide for that community a safer, greener job, right, where they don't have to risk their, their health for the prosperity. Uh, you know, I'm an old country boy, so I think sometimes I put the cart ahead of the horse. You can kind of talk about what the facility will be doing for those people who didn't grow up around grain and farming. Uh, what's going to be going on at this facility that's causing these concerns about the environmental impact? Yes. So at its heart, this is, as I said before, it's a transportation facility. So grain will come in, 90 percent of which will come in by barge. Uh, and that's done purposefully because we wanted to reduce the truck and train traffic, uh, and that also reduces the emissions that could happen in the area. Uh, and that, that basically corn, soybeans, wheat will come into the facility, uh, be taken into to the facility through uh, com the conveyor belt system that, as I said before, at points that are enclosed or are covered, uh, and go into silos, and then they will be immediately you know, put onto other barges and ships to be transported to the the, 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 the purchaser of those items. Uh, so it's nothing's going to be processed. There'll be no chemicals used at the facility. Uh, the 
no groundwater uh, use as well, which also, as you know, uh, is important to the environmental aspects of this um, project. So that, you know, that, that's effectively what this project is, right? It is not the grain elevator of 40 years ago that uh, had exposed conveyor belts where dust and emissions were going into the air, uh, adding you know, to the issues that uh, some have uh, raised, right? Uh, but we've gone to great lengths to meet with the community and make sure that they understand exactly what this facility is and what it is not, right? And, you know, for most of the people who have come to these meetings, you know, they have been very happy to understand this isn't something that they know from the past or have seen in the past, right? Uh, and, and, and primarily it's because of the technology. There's also gonna be, you know, some hazardous monitoring uh, systems on this facility that have not been used previously in the area that also help to make it more safe. Uh, and reduce any risk of uh, dangers. And so that those are all things that the community has to be aware of, right? So that they can, and, and we've made sure that they have been made aware of that so they could understand what we're doing for and with them, not to them. And so we've seen issues with grain facilities like this in other locations. In Odessa, for example, Ukraine, uh, that we're going to be talking about a little bit later. Um, there's been a massive impact on coastal estuaries where their grain facilities exist uh, because of runoff from the facilities. I think it was ammonia runoff uh, became an issue there. We've seen in other locations grain silos uh, literally explode from uh, aerosol uh, grains being ignited by loose sparks. But what can be done to ameliorate the community concerns that things like this might happen. Uh, I understand the technology is in place and we're using advanced systems, but there only needs to be one mistake and communities can reasonably be afraid uh, when you see some of these massive explosions that happen at grain facilities internationally. I agree. Communities can reasonably be afraid, and that is, again, why communication is really important and why we have tried to have as many meetings as possible with the community to make certain that they understand the technology that is being brought to them uh, to help reduce those risks. Uh, you know, in grain facilities of old, uh, the place where explosions would happen the most was something called a headhouse. Well, in this new facility, there's no headhouse. So that eliminates that risk. The, all the silos are also self-cleaning, so no one will be in them. Uh, so that reduces the risk of combustion there as well, as well as uh, workers being uh, you know, uh, buried alive as, as existed in older facilities. And so it's these types of technological advances you know, that, you know, have made, you know, Greenfield say that, hey, this is not just a good business model for a grain export facility, but it is a great business model for communities like Wallace that have historically been disadvantaged, right, and gotten uh, less safe, less uh, green facilities uh, that can help them as they try to revitalize and, and overcome some of those uh, impacts of the past, right? And so, you know, it's really been encouraging to meet and talk with the people of the area because as they get more understanding of what the facility is and what it is not, you know, they have gotten a lot more encouraged about, you know, this being a uh, impetus for the revitalization of their area. And, uh, you know, it, it is certainly uh, all, all reasonable to have those concerns, but with regard to uh, the atmospheric exposure by, by, by one example, currently there are sugarcane fields in the area. The property itself is currently has sugarcane on it. The burning of those sugarcane fields 
which has to happen between harvests, as you're aware, uh, being a country boy, uh, you know, the, this facility will have fewer emissions than the burning of those cane fields. Uh, you know, whenever you have these uh, projects like this, there's always this concept of NIMBY, you know, not in my backyard. Uh, why here? Why in this particular area where there are uh, so many people who are uh, who are seemingly against it and who are protesting it? Or is there, is there not another site that will be an option where you could have the same logistical advantages uh, without some of the concerns from the community? So uh, one first thing I say is that there there is not, uh, as I've been saying, from the beginning, you know, we've had many meetings in the community. There's not a lot of pushback from the community about this facility being built. In fact, they have embraced it and would like us to move quicker to get it open. Uh, we have already started to uh, offer uh, sessions with the community to talk about how they can be trained because we have a local first uh, uh, motto and we really want to make that come to fruition by training the folks who live there to be ready to take these jobs because they are so enthusiastic about what it can do to help change the the way that their community operates currently and how it, uh, it, it, it accepts you know the kinds of jobs that come to it uh, the again the people in the community are uh, you know excited about that possibility of greener, safer jobs. Uh, we are talking with them about how they can be trained. We're at least three years away from anything opening, right? Uh, but we want to make certain that there is enough lead time for the people there to be able to take advantage of these opportunities and jobs. It's also the reason why we started the scholarship program at the high school so early. Uh, you know, we just we we are we are clear that there are communities that have been on the back end of these types of deals in the past. Uh, and not been able to benefit. And Greenfield's whole position is we want to look at all stakeholders, make sure that all the stakeholders who can benefit from this understand what those benefits are and try to maximize those benefits, both to that local community as well as, you know, to farmers in general and disadvantaged farmers in general, right? And so uh, this is a model that actually could be replicated in other areas of the country with similar areas to Wallace and Edgard. Uh, you know, and we've had conversations with elected officials uh, and farmers cooperatives and HBCUs around the country to talk about how this kind of green business can be used to help transform those areas in more positive ways. All right. Well, it sounds like there's a, a lot of information, a lot of uh, public input that needs to happen. Where can the public go to find more information at? If they want to look up, you know, a scorecard, the environmental ratings. No, how can people become more informed before making a final decision on where they stand on this issue? So uh, there, there's a website, www.greenfieldla.com. Uh, there's uh, on that site, there's lots of information. There's testimonials from local uh, residents who are awaiting this project to come about. There's fact sheets there as well for people and links to other articles and the like that they can be uh, better educated about what's coming. Uh, and again, you know, it has been our experience and the more than 500 encounters we've had uh, in the area that this is a well-received and uh, well-awaited project. Not very uh, much pushback has happened regarding it, uh, uh, you know, based on what you're saying. Just want to make sure you understand that the majority of the people that we have encountered are in favor of this project wholeheartedly. All right, well, thank you for coming. And we always want to make sure we present both sides and let the audience decide. Thank you so much, Carl Connor, the Strategic Advisor for Greenfield. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you very much for having us. Have a good holiday season. 
You too. All right, go, uh, moving forward. Yesterday, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky delivered delivered what can only be described as a stirring address to a joint session of Congress. Um, many people are describing it as similar to Winston Churchill's address to Congress during World War II to ask the U.S. Uh, for support. Uh, one of the people that has been on the ground in Ukraine uh, working on this well, one of the people that has been on the ground discussing this has been Malcolm Nance. We're going to talk to him after the break. So we're going to take a quick break and come back and have this discussion on exactly what President Zelensky sought to achieve with this visit here to the United States of America and his meeting with President Biden. We'll be back after the break. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered live. On Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Streaming live on the Black Star Network. I love directing. It's a different kind of piece. I do believe that the 30 years I was acting was to prepare me for what I'm supposed to be doing and that what I'm really am good at. But when you were acting, were you even thinking about directing? No. Nope. Were, were you... So what the hell happened? If you had asked me 15 years ago, I probably would have said, no, I don't know. I was doing Ava's, uh, Ava DuVernay's first film, I Will Follow. Mm -hmm. And during that process, I think because it was her first film, maybe she I... She self-taught. Absolutely. 
I probably gave too many suggestions. And at some point, <laughs> Ava said to me, I think you're a director and you don't know it. about blackness and what happens in black culture we're about covering these things that matter to us uh, speaking to our issues and concerns this is a genuine people-powered movement There's a lot of stuff that we're not getting you get it and you spread the word we wish to plead our own cause too long have others spoken for us we cannot tell our own story if we can't pay for it this is about uh covering us invest in black owned media your dollars matter we don't have to keep asking them to cover our stuff so please support us in what we do folks we want to hit 2,000 people 50 dollars this month raise a hundred thousand dollars we're behind a hundred thousand so we want to hit that y'all money makes this possible check some money orders go to peel box 57196 washington dc 20037- Zero one nine six. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. On the next A Balanced Life with me, Dr. Jackie, it's time to tie up those loose ends. Setting yourself up for balance, success, and even prosperity in the new year. Financial expert Pamela Sams joins our panel. She will give us a checklist of things that we need to do before the calendar turns. We develop our money mindset by the age of six. And so we have our sometimes six-year-old self still operating in the background of our money scripts. That's next on A Balanced Life on Black Star Network. Next on The Black Table with me, Greg Carr, we welcome the Black Star Network's very own Roland Martin, who joins us to talk about his new book, White Fear, how the browning of America is making white folks lose their minds. The book explains so much about what we're going through in this country right now and how, as white people head toward becoming a racial minority, it's going to get, well, let's just say even more interesting. We are going to see more violence. We're going to see more vitriol because as each day passes, it's, it, it is a nail in that coffin. The one and only Roland Martin on the next Black Table, right here on the Black Star Network. Hey, I'm Cupid, the maker of the Cupid Shuffle and the Wham Dance. What's going on? This is Tobias Trevelyan. And if you're ready, you are listening to and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. What we've seen in the last few years is a, a weird change in American politics that people do not see, uh, which is that we've seen more and more African-Americans, particularly African-American men, voting Republican. It's not, not huge numbers yet. But we're seeing the shift take place. You know, there was a point in time where um, prior to 2016, uh, Democrats would usually get around 93 to 95% of the black male vote. And more recent elections has been closer to 85 to 88% of the black male vote. President Trump indeed got over 20% of the black male vote in uh, 2020. Uh, this is comes down to many issues and many reasons behind it. And to discuss this, we're joined by the president of the Black Conservative Federation, Mr. Deontay Johnson. Deontay, how are you doing today? 
right, I think we lost Deontay, but we're, we're going to come back to him uh, in just a second. We're going to bring in our panel to uh, talk about this uh, until we can uh, get Deontay re, uh, reconnected. Uh, Dr. Carr, well, why do you think we've seen these numbers of African-American men uh, vote or for some reason suddenly deciding to uh, kind of switch parties or being less enthusiastic about the Democratic Party as we've seen previously? I don't, I don't generally narrate it in terms of gender, but whoever is switching to what is called conservative, but is really in, in, in the moment we're seeing now, white supremacists and fascists, I'll just reduce it to one word, ignorance. Um, <clears throat> we are at an inflection point in the earlier conversation about the January 6th committee. Unlike the Watergate era, the 1970s, unlike even the uh, September 11th commission, whether it was some bipartisan fact-finding, that kind of thing. We've reached a stage now where the white nationalists have decided that there's not going to be a country if they can't run it. While we're looking at politics in Congress and elections, uh, the, the case that was argued two weeks ago before the Supreme Court, Moore versus Harper, with the independent state legislature theory, the, uh, the argument that state legislatures can basically replace their will for the will of voters, the will of their state Supreme Courts, the will of governors. This, and I expect that Moore versus Harper is going to affirm that theory, one which was birthed, by the way, in a, in a concurrence by, um, by William Rehnquist in Bush versus Gore. We're looking at a moment now where the white nationalists have decided that if they can't run it, they will destroy it. This is something that is kind of without precedent, not even during the U.S. Civil War. And by the way, in the $1.2 trillion uh, package that you mentioned uh, passed the Senate and it's going over to the House now, uh, that, that, that attempt to shore up preventing state legislatures from stealing elections, uh, the reform in terms of the Electoral Count Act was in that package. So maybe they've headed that off. I'm bringing that up to say that uh, the black men, the black women, but majority black men who are moving to the conservative party, so-called so voting for the Republican Party, I guarantee you, you put a pistol in their mouth and say, I'm going to blow your brains out if you know if you don't know anything about what I'm, uh, I'm going to blow your brains out if you can't explain what Dr. Carr is talking about right now. It'd be a lot of dead brothers in the world because they don't understand. <laughs> Cultural <laughs> conservatism is different than the politics of what's going on now. They think they're voting for their interests, but in fact, they're switching to a party that has not only not only their interests in heart, they don't have the interests of the poor whites at heart. And we're at that inflection point. I think ignorance is driving this switch. Uh, you know, I think it's a great way to set the table. I think we do have Deontay Johnson, president of Black Conservative Federation on with us. Deontay, you there? I'm here. All right. So, so Deontay, you know, uh, I think uh, Dr. Carr gave a great intro into what many people think uh, when it comes to the quote-unquote conservative movement as, as it is, but we're still seeing the numbers tick up. You know, in Georgia, Herschel Walker had uh, campaign offices set up in College Park in East Point talking to African-American male, male voters. Uh, we are working for Glenn Youngkin's campaign there in Virginia. I know there's a big emphasis on reaching out to African-American men. Why, why do you think we're seeing these numbers shift where we're seeing more and more black men vote for Republicans versus black women who are still voting for Democrats at a 95-plus percent rate? Well, you know, the biggest thing is the attention for black men. Um, in the Democratic Party, black men have been the forgotten group. Uh, for far too long, we have made our focus on the LGBT community and women. Um, and so black men are still left behind. Um, one of the biggest 
one of the biggest issues we talk about is the pro-life movement. We always talk about, well, you know, how does the woman feel? Does my body hurt my choice when it comes to the women? But no one talks about, well, what about the man? The man was involved in that process of making that baby. Does he not get a decision? Well, let's talk about the man who did not get a choice on whether the woman aborted the child or not and the psychological problem that they go through later on in life and for the rest of their life. Um, and so that's the biggest thing. The second thing is we need to make the man the head of the household again. We have taken the man out of the household and made women the head of the household. We need to empower men again. And men are seeing that and they are saying, you know what, the Democrat Party is not for me. It's time to make a change and I'm coming over to the Republican Party. You know, I, I find it interesting that uh, one of the uh, problems I think Republicans have nationally is they got away from running on policy, and they got into this kind of running on just the culture war aspects of things. You know, we, we saw a lot of talk about, um, uh, you know, Internet memes that were replacement for policies. But when you were working with Glenn Youngkin on his campaign, you concentrated a lot on things like school choice, uh, economic development in communities. Talk a little bit about how you can get back to talking about policy debates as opposed to simply this kind of cult of personality that much of the GOP has fallen into? Well, you know, with the Youngkin campaign, the first thing that we talked about was the economy, and the economy affects everyone. Uh, we talked about, uh, this, you know, uh, small business owners and uh, the red tape that prohibits them from having a brick-and-mortar business, the red tape that prohibits them from even being able to have a fully functioning business recognized under state uh, governments and under the IRS codes. And so uh, we did a lot with that. We talked about uh, business grants. We talked about um, making sure that um, taxes are low for businesses, business ownerships. But then we also, yes, we talked about school choice. We talked about making sure that parents are involved in the school, uh, in their child's educational process. Uh, but then, you know, Glenn Youngkin sat down with voters. We sat down and we did roundtables and we said, listen here, um, Glenn Youngkin said, I'm running for governor. I don't have all the answers, but I want to sit with you and I want to create a team to create the answers. And we gave voters a seat at the table and we gave them a seat at the table to be able to create the policy points. And that's why Glenn Duncan was so successful. Now, now, why do you think the broader GOP isn't taking that, that strategy going forward? It seems that you're still getting kind of—I call them the entertainers uh, when it comes to the uh, re outreach to black voters. Instead of having people who can talk about policy, talk about school choice, talk about economic development, you know, they'll trot out Diamond and Silk. They'll trot out Herschel Walker. They'll trot out, uh, you know, entertainers. How, how can it switch back to a point where you're actually getting people who can talk about actual policies to help communities as opposed to simply people who are great for Internet means and videos? Well, those are happening. The RNC did over 1,500 black events this past cycle. However, the media would not broadcast that. The media only broadcasts things that helps get them clickbaits and helps get them the, uh, the views. But the RNC are having those. We did black business roundtables all over the country. We did events uh, for Juneteenth that uh, where we helped people set up bank accounts. We brought insurance companies and we brought um, investors in. We brought people in to talk about financial stability. And unfortunately, those things aren't sexy enough for the media. And, and Wolf, then, how, how exactly you get over kind of the stigma that is attached by, uh, you know, you, you, you're a black conservative, so you experience it all the time. The minute you say black Republican, black conservative, you know, the, the kind of the claws come out. 
uh, how can how do you think that, that your group, the people that you're working with, can start getting over that stigma? Because ultimately, I, I think that the black community does better when you have feet or we have irons in both fire. If you have, if you're all on one side, then uh, one side gets to ignore you, and the other side can take you for advantage. How can you get to a point of parity where simply you're getting some good policy out of both sides, so they're actually competing for the black vote? Well, first, we have to realize what a black conservative actually is. Um, I'm reminded of what uh, Secretary of Commonwealth of Virginia, Kate Coach James, always says is that a black conservative is someone who dares to believe the teachings of their grandparents. We have to talk, we have to really think about the issues that our grandparents cared so deeply about, the First and Second Amendment, common sense regulation, um, low taxes and limited government, and the sanctity and dignity of life. When we talk about those issues, we are conservative. Black Americans are conservative, and we have to get back to those policies because those policies is what saved our community and will continue to save our community and will bring our community out of poverty. Uh, Tim Scott says that education is the closest thing to magic, and we have to continue to promote an educated society. Uh, now, why do you think the Republican Party just simply won't come along and you know, just listen to you? Why, why do you think they still have this adherence to many of the white supremacists who are still part of the party? You know, you still see Confederate flags uh, at Republican events. You still hear Tommy Tupperville saying they want their reparations in crime, or Marjorie Taylor Greene saying they want to uh, destroy uh, Western civilization and replace your children. Uh, why can't the Republican Party just push those people out? Because I think that's a large part of what makes it difficult to recruit. Uh, from the other side of the aisle, that is, it, I can agree with you on everything you just said, but then when Tommy Tupperville pops up, you know, I got to leave that meeting. I'm not going to be there. Well, it's just like in any we see in the Democratic Party as well is that we we have individuals who have some challenges with messaging, but you know, the Black Conservative Federation, we offer our assistance to every single Republican in this party. Um, we believe in engaging and not enraging, disagreeing without being disagreeable, but we also believe that the most important thing that we have to do is be solutionists, and we're willing to sit down with anyone across the table to discuss those solutions. So, yes, um, I encourage every Republican to come to the Black Conservative Federation and uh, We'll have conversations with them on policy and engaging in messaging. And that's not and, already. And so with that, what do you, what are the tangible uh, aspects of the Republican platform that you can say that black conservatives have contributed? Like when you were talking about shaping policy, shaping the agenda, you know, we hear a whole lot from the National Party about the border, about, uh, uh, you know, the Hunter Biden's laptop. Well, when are we going to start hearing uh, conservatives uh, beyond black conservatives talking about issues for the African-American community and things they want to do for them instead of casting them as the enemy? Well, you know, that's something that we've done during the Trump administration. We saw Opportunity Zones be a big one, um, making sure that we're revitalizing black communities and low-income communities. Being from the south side of Chicago, I understand exactly what it's like to see dilapidated structures and just, just you know, abandoned buildings all around my community, and that hurts. So we have to start building up our own communities. School choice has been a major a major component of building up black communities, making sure that reading test scores and math test scores are exceeding at high levels. We have to talk about uh, criminal justice reform that was the major part of the First Step Act of the Trump administration, where we wanted to go and really look at people who have been serving... 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Long sentences for crimes they didn't commit, that's the first problem, but also sentencing uh, crimes that were, you know, should have been misdemeanors. And so those issues have happened. We, we vocalize those issues. But if I say again, is it's not sexy to the media. And so when we talk about those issues, the media doesn't want to grasp that. And, and Fox News is just as much to blame as much as CNN. It's, it's just not something that sells. And so uh, we have to be the messengers ourselves, and we have to get those voice, those you know, policy points out there ourselves. And just kind of last thing before I uh, go over to the panel, uh, how do we get into a place where people on both the left side of the aisle and the right side of the aisle can start talking about things that we just want for the black community presenting that to both parties, and then going forward from there. Because I would love to hear the Republican plan on reparations, for example. I would love to hear the Republican plan on uh, voting rights. I would love to hear us just simply having an agenda for the black community that both parties have to come uh, come to the table on, the same way the Jewish community does, the same way the LGBTQ community does, the same way the feminist community does. Uh, why is there not just simply a unified black agenda instead of us kind of going at each other, where you have black conservatives talking about black liberals and then black liberals talking about black conservatives, we're just spinning our wheels and going nowhere. 
Well, we have to get back to the, we have to unify, and I agree with you. Is that that's where we should be? Uh, we should differ on policy, but at the end of the day, we should come together to discuss how we can uplift our community. And I believe that uh, the black community should be both Democrat and Republic, Republican. You know, the black community is the only community in America that gives ninety percent of their vote to one party. Um, and we need to make sure that we split that. And, you know, we, I have friends across the aisle. Robert, as you know, um, I consider you one of my friends across the aisle, that we discuss issues and we can have a civil discussion. We have to get America back there. However, um, you know, Congressman Byron Donald started that uh, by trying to join, become a member of the Congressional Black Caucus, and they told him no. Um, and so we have to be, it's both sides. Both sides have to be willing to come together. And right now, the Democratic Party has not shown that they are willing to work with black Republicans in Congress. We have Byron, Congressman Byron Donalds and Congressman Burgess Owens, and we just added Congressman Wesley Hunt and Congressman John James. Let's see, with four black Republicans in Congress, will black Democrats embrace them and say, you know what, we know that we have differences uh, in policy. We know that you're Republican and we're Democrat, can we sit down and talk about how we can make sure that uh, generational wealth is something that's discussed in our community? Can we sit down and talk about how we can make sure that our children are educated and that our uh, low-income communities are not giving the bottom of the uh, bottom the bottom leftovers in the education system? Can we sit down and talk about the, dis the health disparity in America? Can we sit down and talk about these issues? And if we can do that, I guarantee you, I know Byron, uh, Congressman Byron Donaldson, Burgess Owens real well, as well as Wesley Hunt and John James, and they'll be willing to discuss those. We just have to make sure that we have some participation on the left. I remember something similar with a good friend of mine, former Congresswoman Mia Love out of Utah, uh, who, uh, you know, great person, wonderful to sit down with, but it was hard to get these bipartisan conversations going. Bringing the panel back in, uh, Erica, what do you think has to happen for us to kind of create a black platform? Because if you see the Jewish platform, for example, um, President Obama goes out of office, he drops off $38 billion to Israel. President Trump comes into office, he drops off $40 billion to Israel. President Biden comes into office, he drops off $45 billion to Israel. They don't care who the party is in power. They have their agenda and it's executed. How can we do the same? I have to be honest with you, Ryder. I'm very disturbed with that entire conversation. Very disturbed. And I honestly don't have shit to offer right now because to me, this is further, <clears throat> this is further proof that the disinformation campaign has been clicking like a well-oiled machine and that chain, that train is not latest at all. Anybody champion a motherfucker Glenn Youngkin, anybody cheering any of those people that he just named, you got shit to say to him because the ship has already sailed. But, but Erica, <laughs> on that point, how do, how do we make progress doing that? Because we just saw, and we talked about this yesterday, we had everybody down in Georgia, you know, talking about how important the black vote was to them to maintain the Senate. Then they get to Washington, they pass a $1.7 trillion bill without anything in there for black people. So how is that going to push our agenda forward if we're not willing to have a conversation across the aisle? To say, so there's so much in that, because to say, you know, I'm going back to the LGBTQ women not being a focus. I'm, I'm, there's so many places in this conversation to then jump over to say what happened with the fool known as Herschel Walker walking around in East Point talking to anybody about what? What the fuck was he talking about? Did he under... What was he talking about? What 
what message, what clear message did Herschel Walker communicate to anybody? So then to say that I'm a part of the 95%, right? Because as a person, I'm going to continue to fight for democracy because I have been given much as a person. I would dare not not do what I needed to do in order to make sure that I have done the work for other people that are around me. So that's first and foremost. So for me, really to respond properly, we would have to go through so much of this conversation that is, um, for me, 100% ignorant. Um, but to really discount people, um, you know, who are, carry children in their wombs, me and Reese have done just that. To discount people because of gender, I'm a woman, that is how the Lord made me, is fucking stupid. And then to take people, which we all have in our family that are LGBTQIA+, and do the same damn thing to me, we have nothing to talk about. Whatever talking points that have been successfully imprinted by the Republican Party, keep that. Get Reese's book about radical Republicans, read that. But honestly, I absolutely have nothing further to say because so much of what he said in his conversation with you was disrespectful as fuck. Uh, Reese, as he mentioned you, do you think there's and anywhere... Reese, do you think there's anywhere that black conservatives and black progressives can come together and create a political agenda going forward where we can get something done across the aisle regardless of who's in power? First of all, I have to start by saying, period. Period, sis. Thank you for setting it off. Because at the end of the day, there I was like aghast at some of the disrespectful comments that were made, disrespectful, chauvinistic, misogynistic, and ahistorical, talking about daring to uh, believe their ancestors. Our ancestors believed in limited government when we were trying to get the Civil Rights Act passed, when we were trying to get uh, uh, de desegregation. That was limited government? I don't think so. So, I mean, there's so many ahistorical things. As far as can we go hand-in-hand, hand, kumbaya, uh, no. No, we cannot. As long as what people are pitching is really rooted in white supremacy, we can't be hand in hand with that. And I'm not saying that Democrats are perfect. I'm not saying that all Republicans ain't shit. However, I'm not seeing nothing that I can really rock with in what is being said. And, and I just want to go back to the website, too, because I looked it up because, I mean, you know, I didn't get a lot of advance notice about who was coming on, but I looked up this Black Conservative Foundation Federation and one of the things that it says, it says individuals, families, and communities makes the best decisions regarding their own well-being, not the government. Apparently, that does not include women and our bodily autonomy and our ability to have or not have children. And I would also like to point out that the Republican Party is trying to attack contraception. Right now in the state of Texas, a judge has ruled that uh, if you're a, a teenager, you cannot get access to contraception. And guess what? In Texas, abortion is illegal. So you can't get contraception, you can't get an abortion. And y'all want to talk about the head of the household and the family. What kind of family is it having a forced birth? When you're not having forced marriages, and I'm not for that either, you're not having forced fathers, you're only having forced birthing happening to mothers. And so all of this shit is just completely ridiculous to me. It sounds good, some of the talking points. If Republicans were actually about 
some of the stuff, low taxes. I'm with low taxes. I'm, my taxes is too damn high. I ain't got no stimulus. I ain't got no nothing. If that's what they were actually about, we might have a friend of Jesus with that. But so much of what the Republican Party is about, their receipts are all in, in, in sexism and bigotry, particularly against women. And then you throw on black people. And then you throw on LGBTQI people. And yes, they are people and they absolutely deserving of humanity and equal rights like anybody else. Then we got a big, big problem. So no, ain't no alliance nowhere. Especially when you start off acting like black women are getting or being bestowed some kind of of of, of attention or grace. Uh, not when we looking at people dragging the hell out of Megan the Stallion for getting shot. I don't think so. So I don't, I don't, we living in two different worlds. We gotta we gotta have a shared reality before we can march forward together. Uh, and I ain't hosting, so I ain't uh, got to be as nice as I was last time. But but kind of kind of on that point, you know, we just saw the Respect for Marriage Act, for example, be signed into law with bipartisan support. You had uh, conservatives on one side being against it, you had uh, progressives on the other side being against it because it didn't go far enough. They found a compromise position in the, in the center where they were able to protect uh, LGBTQ marriage as well as interracial marriage. If they can come together, two sides of the aisle, get a majority done to get something done, why can't we do that for the issues in our community instead of just kind of saying, well, once we have a super duper majority for Democrats, then maybe we can get something done for black people. I think there has to be some kind of way to it. We don't have to agree on everything, but can we find one thing to agree on to get done? Can we agree on not having forced births? Can we agree <laughs> on contraception? Can, no, that's a, for me, as a woman, that's a start. And right. let me just we add this, because this, wasn't, this was not planned, but let me just add this. I literally lost a pregnancy not so long ago, and I was not public about it. I was really mm. private about it. I, I lost a pregnancy, and I'm just thinking about if Roe v. Wade had been overturned for that. I didn't even know I was pregnant. What my big, wrong self had already had a child. Did not know I was pregnant. It was by the grace of God that I was like, I, I still keep having this pain. And it was a couple of weeks after I started feeling some discomfort in my body, told myself mm. after work, no, you have to go to the hospital. And it was a doctor that noticed all of the pain on my face that took me and said, absolutely, you have a ruptured ectopic pregnancy, and if we do not rid you, you of this fetus, um, whatever you, this pregnancy, rather, you will die. He told me, had I not come to the emergency room that night, I would have died. And my partner was deployed in Afghanistan at the time. So when, for anybody to talk about a woman having babies, that is not light work. Reese just did this not even two years ago alongside a pandemic. You want to sit down and have a conversation and ask about how difficult that was? So, no, we cannot have a conversa conversation because to come on and make comments like that and not even understand about what an abortion is, what I had was an abortion, but it was something that saved my fucking life. So, no, you don't get to come over here and make comment, have the, all of this long commentary and then ask the question, can we all get on the same page? Who, who, what the hell are you talking about? You have asserted yourself as a person who should be able, because you are a man, period. You have asserted yourself as a person who should make decisions and be a, the decision bearer to possibly my own life or death. No, we cannot sit down and have a conversation. You were disrespectful as fuck the entire time and you did not know who the fuck you were talking to. Hmm. 
and Dr. Dr. Carr, I wanted to bring you in before we we wrap this segment. Uh, do you think there's anything voting rights, criminal justice reform, economic development? Is there anywhere that we can find a common ground to get things done, or are we just simply going to uh, say that we just have to have complete power on one side and um, before we can actually push that agenda forward? Because we have a lot of stuff sitting for Congress that we're going to need. You know, you own some of these things. We need like five senators to come across to get passed, but we can't do that because we don't have any bipartisan agreement. Right. Well, let me ask you, Robert, you're a president attorney. How long do you think it's going to be before they go to court to challenge the uh, defense of marriage, uh, the, the, the act that just passed in terms of LBGQ marriage? They going to court for that? Oh, absolutely. I'll be there next term. No question. Uh, my point is this. These crackers have loaded the deck. They're not just going for legislation. They have they have eviscerated the court. Now I, I feel, I feel for my brother Deontay because clearly, the education system in Chicago failed him. We need stronger public education, not vouchers. But I'm a man. I can't have a child, but I can make one. And. Uh, Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. But not without a woman. Why do I say that? I think 
the white nationalists are clear about this. They want a theocracy. The blackface white nationalists, which is what I'm calling black conservatives who will go down the line in support of these white nationalists who basically have a rhetorical ethic, because if you're pro-life, there's no way you back Herschel Walker, a serial forcing women to have abortion men, unless, of course, you don't believe what you're saying. And I wish you, I hope, is, is Deontay still here? Ask him, did he support Herschel Walker? I think he had to hop off. Oh, that's too bad, because uh, the white Christian nationalist Marjorie Taylor Greene did, and last I, last I checked, Herschel Walker was uh, paying for people terminating pregnancies like he was playing lottery tickets. In fact, I guess he was playing lottery tickets on the off chance that he might actually uh, not be able to force a woman to bring a pregnancy to term. He kept paying the price. But my point is this. As a man, as a human being, and as an American by force, because I never asked to be here, F this structure, F this country, F all of its crimes, let me be very clear. After the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, I vote consistently Democratic because I'm in a mode right now of self-defense. Now, I have friends who would call themselves on the far left, the revolutionaries, who would say both parties are the same. I think that's absurd, and but let me tell you why. In a theocracy, you get to tell women that they have to bring pregnancies to term. In fact, you get to do whatever the hell you want with women if you're in a patriarchal theocracy. Uh, black people know something about that, because in 1528, the Spanish tried to enslave us in what is now South Carolina. And about 90 years later, a couple of boats showed up with just short of 20 people of African descent, August 1619, and that state that brother was talking from. And if you were a black woman, they pumped you full of seed, unfortunately too many times by forcing a black man to do it, but many more times by the desire of white men like the ancestors of people like Glenn Youngkin. And when you came up pregnant, they said, not only are you not going to sneak around here and terminate a pregnancy, we want that baby and a million more, because every time you give birth, it's an ATM. Can we understand where the hell we are? Because see, if you're in Virginia, Glenn Youngkin wants to take all that history out of the book. And if you're a black conservative like Deontay Johnson, I'm wondering what your position is on critical race theory in Virginia, brother, since your master wants to take all that information out of the books because it makes white people feel bad. Would it make you feel bad too, brother? Because if that's the case, then race is just a demographic. Race is just a color, and blackness is just a color. It's not a position. It's not politics. It's not culture. Let me end with this. I would feel sorry for that, brother, if that ignorance wasn't deadly. That ignorance is deadly. We're not talking about Robert, uh, 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 black agenda. You tried to give that brother an out. There was a time when we talked about black agendas. But if you're going to bring up K. James, let me be very clear. Your grandfather and your grandmother's Republican Party is not the Republican Party of today. Your grandfather's Republican Party of, that you're trying to weigh on, what you call the Republican Party of your grandparents, that would be the Democratic Party of the Dixiecrats. They have migrated to the Republican Party now. And so if you're going to support the Republican Party, then you're supporting open white supremacy, and they're saying it with their full throats. I'm not saying support the Democratic Party uncritically. Of course, we got a bang on them because too many of them, Joe Biden being one, think that you can have bipartisanship. This isn't about left or right. This is about white nationalism. And you can't make compromise with white nationalism. And if an American Negro shows up caping for white nationalism, you better move, brother, because we're going to have to move over you. Because what we're trying to protect is not just black people. We're trying to protect humanity from people that are determined to wreck it. And if you're going to cape for them, then we're trying to protect you from yourself. But don't, don't be telling black women, don't be telling women what to do. 
you better put that Bible down because there's a whole lot of other stuff in that Bible when it comes to stoning, when it comes to cutting people's hands off, when it comes in. I know the New Testament came to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament, but these white boys is Old Testament Christians. Women supposed to be barefoot, pregnant, doing whatever the hell they want, and if you're a little underage, Mike, Mike Getz may run around, sniff up behind you and say, I can do whatever the hell I want with a female. Don't get cute because we can go verse for verse, and then you're going to find out these people you supporting would just as soon have you butt-ass naked in a, a damn Virginia field picking tobacco, brother. They'll, stop playing with this. Well, I think we have not, we've come to an agreement that uh, we got a little space to go before we get bipartisanship. We're going to go to a quick break. After the break, we're going to talk to Malcolm Nance about what's going on in Ukraine and the speech by President Zelensky. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered live on the Black Star Network. When you talk about blackness and what happens in black culture, we're about covering these things that matter to us, uh, speaking to our issues and concerns. This is a genuine people-powered movement. There's a lot of stuff that we're not getting. You get it, and you spread the word. We wish to plead our own cause too long have others spoken for us. We cannot tell our own story if we can't pay for it. This is about uh, covering us. Invest in Black-owned media. Your dollars matter. We don't have to keep asking them to cover our stuff. So please support us in what we do, folks. We want to hit 2,000 people, $50 this month, raise $100,000. We're behind 100000 so we want to hit that. Y'all money makes this possible. Check some money orders. Go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 200-37- 0196. The cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. On the next A Balanced Life with me, Dr. Jackie, it's time to tie up those loose ends. Setting yourself up for balance, success, and even prosperity in the new year. Financial expert Pamela Sams joins our panel. She will give us a checklist of things that we need to do before the calendar turns. We develop our money mindset by the age of six. And so we have our sometimes six-year-old self still operating in the background of our money scripts. That's next on A Balanced Life on Black Star Network. Hey, I'm Antonique Smith. What up, Lana Well, and you are watching Rolling Martin Unfiltered. Yesterday, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky gave an address to the Joint Session of Congress, as well as meeting with President Biden. Uh, we wanted to bring in Malcolm Nance, counterintelligence uh, expert, uh, who's also been on the ground there in Ukraine. Malcolm, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm glad to be here. Sorry, I got a little late, but we're about to have a blizzard, I think. <laughs> no, no problem. That that bomb cyclone is messing with everybody. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what President Zelensky articulated to Congress and what this means going forward for the war in Ukraine? You know, what President Zelensky did, and it's it's actually pretty amazing because he has not left Ukraine at all since the beginning of the invasion. He's spoken to other bodies by a teleprompter, and he's had numerous world leaders come to Kiev by train uh, themselves to, to discuss their relationships with Kiev. However, this time he took an American offer. He came to the United States, and he spoke before Congress really about the essence of what the fight in Ukraine is about. And if there's any one thing that we should know and learn about the, what 
what is happening in Ukraine is that this is an existential war, not just for the Ukrainian people. Russia fully intends to wipe out Ukrainian culture. They said that they would eliminate Ukrainian dialect, Slavic language, which is very similar to Russia. But for the most part, it's really a war about the end of democracy in Ukraine. Russia cannot have that on its borders. It's a dictatorship. It doesn't want that infection going there. And also control of 25% of the world's wheat. So Vladimir Zelensky came and made an impassioned, historically articulate, articulated speech about how this was America's war, how you could not decouple America and the money that it is donating to Ukraine away from the um, saving American democracy against what we see now as the, the ultra-conservative, ultra-MAGA right. The most of their supporters are supporters of Vladimir Putin and his dictatorship. And Vladimir Zelensky made a very, very good, impassioned plea uh, for America to understand that every dollar that is spent in Ukraine, using his famous phrase, is not charity. It's an investment in a future war you don't have to fight with American service members. And it was a good speech. You know, on that point, many people have compared the speech to Winston Churchill's address to a joint session of Congress uh, at the beginning of this uh, special military operation, as the Kremlin calls it. Uh, people expected this to be a three- to five-day operation. They would do a decapitation strike on Kiev, a replacement for puppet government, and Ukraine would turn into a, uh, a subsidiary state, much like uh, much like Belarus, uh, or much like many of the other former Soviet republics that were part of the Warsaw Pact. But because of U.S. aid to Ukraine, this has turned into to a, uh, a year-long struggle where the Ukrainians seem to be winning. You know, we recently had the uh, the Russians flee from Kherson across the Dnieper River. We've seen the counteroffensive in Kharkiv, which has been amazingly successful, uh, regaining territory. Why do you think so many Republicans have suddenly become the pro-Putin party? And even we saw Lauren Boebert and Matt Gates refusing to applaud uh, Vladimir Zelensky. And now they're calling it everything from money laundering to part of the Hunter Biden laptop scheme. Why are Republicans against defending Ukraine? Well, for a simple fact that uh, three years ago, Donald Trump was impeached for attempting to blackmail and extort Vladimir, Z uh, Vladimir Zelensky uh, when he refused to actually make up an investigation of Hunter Biden at the personal request of Donald Trump via Rudy Giuliani. He refused to do it. And now what we're seeing is the Republican Party went into rebellion against Ukraine. This is not new. Uh, Biden, uh, I'm sorry, Trump understood also, acting as a vassal of Vladimir Putin, that those weapons, the money that they were going to release to Ukraine was to pay for the 1,000 Javelin missiles, the same missiles that broke the Russian invasion at the very beginning of the war. Ukraine would have been rolled over without those missiles. I know. Uh, you know, for those of you who don't know, I've actually been a combatant in this war since last March when I joined the International Legion for the Territorial Defense of Ukraine. I've been a Ukrainian Army soldier this whole time. And I'm going to make something very clear so that no one... Um, has any um, misapprehension about what I'm going to say. Ukraine is definitively winning this war. Yes, we are taking casualties. My unit just lost three people the other day. 
but Ukraine is definitively winning this war. And for Ukraine to win this war, it means that you are humiliating Donald Trump's personal mentor and uh, essentially the person who put him into power in the United States. And since Trump didn't get his way by extorting Zelensky, he didn't get his way by helping and supporting Putin by dismantling NATO, which is much stronger, that means anything Donald Trump hates, the Republican Party hates. And they have now become the party of dictatorship and have aligned themselves essentially against a country which has had nine democratic elections, whereas Vladimir Putin's uh, Russia has had two. And, uh, and they elected a KGB officer who will now have none. You know, we're seeing continued shelling in Bakhmut, where uh, also the nuclear plant of Zaporizhia uh, has continued to be under attack. Uh, it's very much the weapons sent by the American people uh, that are maintaining the ability of the Ukrainians to fight. You know, if it was not for, as you said, the Javelin missiles, which have destroyed uh, many of the uh, T-72, T-60, T-90 tanks that the Russians uh, really used as the head of the spear, the Stinger missiles that have taken out many of the Hind helicopters. Uh, now we have Patriot missile batteries, which are being deployed deployed to Ukraine. President Biden promised another, I think, $1.8 billion. But you have many people, even in the African-American community, questioning the amount of monetary aid going to Ukraine. Uh, why is so much money needed for the defense of Ukraine? And how can it be justified, given the needs of the American people here? And uh, when we're, we're, we, we tend to argue about dollars and cents down to the nickel in American budgeting, but many people seem to think that Ukraine simply has an uh, unlimited uh, debit card where they can take as much money as they need for their defense. Why is that justified? Well, let me put it this way. Right across the border from western Ukraine in a, in a small town called Zhuzhov, Poland, right, where there is a U.S. Army 82nd Airborne Combat Element operating, about 20 to 25 percent of those troops are African-American or Latino-American, people of color. If Ukraine had fallen, those soldiers would have been in combat with Russia. So we have to make some strategic decisions here. Ukraine asked for only one thing from us, as a democracy which was defending itself against the totalitarian dictator who launched the largest war in Europe since Adolf Hitler invaded the Sudetenland in 1939. They asked us for weapons. We spent over two trillion dollars in Iraq and Afghanistan fighting essentially guys who were wearing flip-flops and making a very, very large uh, defense uh, industry very happy over 10 years. That's not what's happening here. This is the war you've always feared would happen in Europe. It's just that, you know, once Ukraine were, were to fall, 25 percent of the world's wheat falls into Russia's hands. A dictator has shows that direct force actually works. What you would have seen was a cascading series of political bodies around the world move away from our style of democracy towards Vladimir Putin's autocracy. This is a war on what ideology will dominate the world, one where people are, uh, are led by those who are voted in by the consent of the governed, or one where a dictator just gets to walk in anywhere he wants and take what he wants. Uh, look, Donald Trump was essentially a mini Vladimir, uh, you know, Vla uh, Vladimir Putin.
and for Trump and his ilk, again, who were there, they were going to dismantle NATO and body a defense body which the United States created in 1947 for Vladimir Putin. So the war that was being fought in Ukraine right now, every dollar you're spending is not 50 or 100 or $1,000 you would have to spend to defend Poland or Estonia or Latvia or Lithuania or Finland as part of a NATO alliance. Right now, the weapon systems that we're selling Ukraine, it's not just the United States. 32 nations, all of Europe, the European Union, are all sending weapons to Ukraine. Another thing that we're doing here is we're learning just how intense combat would be fighting against a nation-state, a near-peer adversary such as Russia. Trust me, I have been bombarded by Russian rockets, Russian artillery, my command post took a direct hit by a, uh, uh, a weapon system that fired 40 kilometers across the Russian border. This is a war we don't want to fight, all right? We'd win it. Our weapon systems are definitive. The Russians have no army to speak of. They're actually a, a horde of literally orcs, people who came to Ukraine to steal what they could and are dying in droves. These are bodies... The Ukrainians themselves are taking losses, over 13,000 dead. These are people who are not Americans. Americans do not have to die fighting off totalitarianism. Now, we spent a lot of money in a lot of places in this world, but I think this is one of the best investments in American history. We cannot afford to allow democracies to be rolled over by dictatorship or it's going to happen to us anywhere, and you're going to see U.S. forces in combat everywhere. Can you talk a little bit about the uh, the kind of dominoes that fall if Ukraine was to fall to Russia? Because if he did, as uh, Monica Crowley on Fox News suggested, and cut off all uh, aid to Ukraine tomorrow, as uh, some Republicans have been saying, Matt Gates and Boebert and others, uh, you'll be looking at, one, uh, Russia will be able to finally close that gap between Kherson and uh, Odessa, cutting off that port, which is the last remaining port that is able to uh, go uh, deliver goods into the Black Sea. They'll be able to connect the corridor from the Donbass all the way to Transnistria and Moldova. Uh, you will see a situation where Belarus will be uh, uh, newly encouraged to maybe... Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every Every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From the north, what are the dominoes that would happen if we stopped supporting Ukraine? Well, I mean, it's not so much dominoes. Right now, because of where Ukraine is, it would just be a matter of attrition. Um, Maybe two, three years before Russia would finally wear down the Ukrainians to where their combat capability would be so degraded without the support of the United States and the rest of NATO that they would start losing mass paces of terrain. Of course, Russia would be losing 200, 300, 400,000 dead. I, you know, and trust, I, I'm saying, trust me, I was a combatant there. Those guys are nothing but cannon fodder. Very few of them are actually skilled troops. But when you're putting a thousand to one out or a thousand to two out, it's a little hard to maintain your ground. Listen, when the Republican Party says they should cut off aid, they are just being the traitors that they have identified themselves to all the values that of the founding fathers that they claim to honor. We are a democracy, a republic, which is a democracy in which the rights of the minority are protected. That is not what they are for. Donald Trump, and I wrote this in one of my, uh, you know, my better read books, The Plot to Destroy Democracy, Donald Trump is a member of what we call the axis of autocrats. He believes that Vladimir Putin's solitary-style dictatorship, that President Xi of China, he congratulated him on the day that he received um, the ability to rule forever without elections. This is a man who was literally said he was in love with a North Korean dictator. For African Americans, if you think you would have it bad now, or you had it bad over the last six years, because let me tell you, we're in the best economy since uh, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama's economy. If you think it was bad under Trump, imagine everything bad that happened to you being law. This is the party that you're up against now. They want to overturn all of America's alliances since World War II. That would literally betray the very reason that we landed at Normandy, would be to install a totalitarian dictatorship and run a nation based on white supremacy. So for anyone who says, hey, you know, we didn't get our school funding here in the United States, you're right, you didn't. Because it has nothing to do with the defense budget. It has to do with they want to dismantle the Department of Education. They will dismantle everything. 
that the African-American community has ever worked towards since the civil rights era. In fact, they had their way, they'd roll back the civil rights era. So every dollar spent defending Ukraine as the eastern wall of democracy staves us from having to fight in Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland, and Finland, the countries which all have a border with now apparently an out-of-control Russia. Good investment. You know you know, we're, we keep seeing all uh, week after week, Europe seems to be hedging closer to autocracy. Uh, if you look at what's happening in Europe, uh, Israel right now, Netanyahu just installed the most uh, right-wing government in the nation's history. If you look at Italy, where Giorgio Maloney uh, has installed a neo-fascist party, which worships Mussolini all of a sudden. If you look at the uh, the government there in the UK, uh, where you had Liz Truss and Boris Johnson running a right-wing government, is Europe headed towards a position where these right-wing autocrats become the uh, become the standard and not the deviation. You know, again, I wrote a book in 2018 called The Plot to Destroy Democracy. One thing that most people didn't realize until they took their shot at trying to take uh, put the American government into the hands of an autocrat is that United Russia, Vladimir Putin's party, since um, since 1992, if I'm not mistaken, um, when after Putin became uh, no not 1992 excuse me 2002 after Vladimir Putin became president started funding right wing extremist conservative parties all around Europe the nations you spelled out those are the least of them the government in Italy yes it is a fascist based prime minister but the actual government is very liberal progressive and will not allow that prime minister to do anything other than sit around as a female Mussolini. Uh, the government in Israel, well, we all know that there's not much we can say about that. But, you know, Israel really started becoming extremely radical after the Russia, the, the Jewish diaspora from Russia started moving there and created some of the most extremist political bodies uh, there. And you see how they, they treat people. Uh, you know, I, I, I lived in Israel. I worked in Israel. It is not the same Israel that it was 30 years ago. Completely different country, very heavy Russian influence, to the point where they won't help Ukraine. Uh, in Great Britain, you know, their, uh, their Brexit uh, referendum was heavily influenced by Russia and Cambridge Analytica at the same times that these uh, same activities were going on, uh, trying to pump up Donald Trump in the United States and, uh, you know, essentially hack the mindset of the American public through social media engineering. Uh, but those are some of the least governments in there. The government of Austria in 2017, which was a party that was founded by two Nazi SS officers in 1952, won the presidency with the help of United Russia, who immediately opened ties with them. Uh, the government of Hungary, Viktor Orban, is more aligned with Vladimir Putin almost than he is with NATO. There are many, many other governments, but this is part of Vladimir Putin's long-term strategic plan to flip Western democracies into autocracies. And fortunately, this has been seen, and the United States, for the most part, uh, is holding on by fingernails to, its, uh, to the democracy that it was founded to be, and we are pushing back against that autocracy. But the Republican Party wholly owned subsidiary of an ex-KGB officer.
So how does this war end? You know, I, I, I don't think anybody thinks that the, the Ukrainian army can do a river crossing and push uh, the Russians out of Crimea down to Sevastopol. I don't think uh, that uh, the U.S. is going to supply them with the types of offensive weapons. You know, uh, Zelensky has asked for Abrams tanks and for Leopard from Germany, uh, from Challenger tanks from Great Britain. Uh, is there a diplomatic solution? Is there an agreement that can be come to uh, can be considered? Because the Russians are saying are saying they're not going to give back the Donbass. They're not going to give back Lohansk. They're not going to give back Crimea. And uh, uh, Zelensky has said that he wants all those territories back and to redraw the lines to 2014. How exactly does this end, or is it just a continuous decade of war like we saw in Chesty in the 90s? Let me let me explain something very clearly. All right. Uh, I am a Ukrainian Army soldier. I was part of the 3rd Battalion International Legion Special Forces. I took part in the offensive operation in Kharkiv province that took back the entirety of the northeast of Ukraine. I was in the first... first ...the capability of fighting the way that they need to fight to get back across those rivers. We are actually right now about 30% into Luhansk province from a direction that the Russians can barely control, the northeast. You have to remember that the Russians dominated that space. They are in a position now that within the next year, they will lose Luhansk, possibly Donetsk, all of Kherson province, and most likely Zaporizhia. It's quite possible we could be back in Mariupol in a year on the banks of Crimea. Um, there is one thing that can that Vladimir, uh, Vladimir Zelensky can propose to Russia as part of a, of a peace deal that will be acceptable to the pe Ukrainian people. I've spoken about it many times uh, with members in the Ministry of Defense, and it's quite simple. We make this proposal. The unconditional surrender of Russian forces in Ukraine, and we will turn their soldiers over to the handling of the International Committee of the Red Cross. Because only two outcomes are going to happen in this war. Russia's army is going to be broken, and they are breaking now. They are barely holding on. Their mobilized forces are going out there wearing World War II and Soviet-era uh, helmets, rifles from the 1950s. We have the equipment, not just the stuff that we have from the United States. It is as simple as this. We have the heart to bring this war to a horrible, terrible conclusion if the Russians want it. But for now, they have an option. They can turn around and walk home, back to the Russian border, or they can be destroyed. And I think Zelensky is speaking from a position of strength because he sees the writing on the wall, and so does everyone else, which is why we're giving them the weapon systems they need. The tanks that he wants, the Challenger, the Leopard, the Abrams, those tanks, those advanced weapon systems will come to Ukraine, but more than likely once a ceasefire or once uh, Russian forces mm -hmm. have been pushed out of their borders. Malcolm, for all that you've done in updating us, you know, can't get more, uh, more updated information than you being on the front lines. We thank you for everything.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You're doing. Uh, make sure you keep us updated. We'll have you back on. Thank you so much, Malcolm Nance, counterintelligence expert. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. Thanks. We'll be back after the break. You're listening to, you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered live on the Black Star Network. Hatred on the streets, a horrific scene, a white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence. White people are losing their damn minds. It's an angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol. We're about to see the rise of what I call white minority resistance. We have seen white folks in this country who simply cannot tolerate black folks voting. I think what we're seeing is the inevitable result of violent denial. This is part of American history. Every time that people of color have made progress, whether real or symbolic, there has been what Carol Anderson at Emory University calls white rage as a backlash. This is the rise of the Proud Boys and the Boogaloo Boys. America, there's going to be more of this. Here's all the Proud Boys, guys. This country is getting increasingly racist in its behaviors and its attitudes because of the fear of white people. The fear that they're taking our jobs, they're taking our resources, they're taking our women. This is white fear.
We're all impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives, and we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. Hi, I'm Israel Houghton with Israel and New Breed. What's up, what's up? I'm Dr. Ricky Dillard, the choir master. Hey, yo, peace world. What's going on? It's the love king of R&B, Raheem Devon, and you're watching Roland Martin, Unfiltered. This week, Title 42, the Trump era policy, which allowed Department of Homeland Security and um, Immigration to force uh, migrants to stay in Mexico as part of a COVID restriction was set to expire. The Supreme Court stayed that, but we all know that that will not last much longer. Here to discuss Title 42 is Rakia Mabumbo, co-director of the Electoral uh, Choice Project. Rakia, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. So can you talk to us a little bit about Title 42 for people who are unfamiliar with the issue and why it's so, uh, why it's so controversial, the Supreme Court staying the expiration of it? Yeah, well, I mean, this is really important. Um, and we just actually did a report called Criminalizing Blackness, which really goes deep into uh, why Title 42 is really important and actually gives you the history of the 1994 crime bill and its impacts on the 1996 immigration laws and how it has resulted in anti-Black immigrant policies that we see now. Um, so basically what we see is that continuation of fast-track deportation, a continuation of uh, immigration policies that criminalize Black people and cause them to be faced with deportation at faster rates, a blockage of access, and a criminalization in a way that we hadn't seen before the 1994 crime bill. Um, you know, when we look at immigration policies as they've evolved, what we see is that uh, we see that uh, a pattern of what we consider uh, policy that has pushed to really whiten America, right, in a way of pushing that fear that you just talked about right before I, I came on, um, this fear of ensuring that Black immigrants and black migrants uh, specifically have access to become citizens in this country. And so this report that uh, we have launched called Criminalizing Blackness goes into more detail about all the ways uh, that Title 42 and the 1994 crime bill and the 1996 immigration laws have really harmed uh, uh, black people. And so on this, Title 42, of course, was created uh, during the Trump administration as a COVID-era restriction, saying that, well, we're going to slow down immigrants because there's a fear of COVID. We've gotten rid of almost every other COVID restriction in the country. You know, we're not wearing masks. We don't have vaccine mandates anymore. We're not socially distancing. Why is Title 42 still in place? That's a good question, right? That's what we're all wondering. Um, what we saw when we looked in 2020, when we saw Haitian migrants being uh, chased at the border by uh, white men on horses with whips, um, was a terrorizing of our people um, and using COVID and other policies to really push this narrative, right, um, that Black migrants were helping to cause harm or uh, helping to, to impact our health in this country. And we know that those, those things, that's just not true. Right. We saw an increase of deportation of, of black migrants um, over and over again. And so, you know, we have to be really mindful and we have to continue to bring 
forth the truth about the harm of these type of policies. You know, the key point of the report, Criminalizing Blackness, is to really show how uh, legislation like Title 42 uh, really is a blueprint to major funding for prisons, for policing, and sentencing under the guise of creating a safer America. And so we have to be really cautious and cautious of how it disproportionately impacts black immigrants and black people. Absolutely. I want to bring our panel in. Uh, Erica, uh, just kind of on this point, why do you think it's that regardless of the administration, they still keep these policies in place, particularly with regards to uh, migrants from uh, black and brown nations they don't have in place for Ukrainian migrants, as we were just talking about with Malcolm Nance, or with, as President Trump said, Norwegian migrants? Why uh, why do we stand for this Mm -hmm. as a country? Well, I mean, we've talked about it on this show plenty of times that uh, white supremacy is global, right? So that is a truth that we know um, when you talk about having migrants that come over from European nations, nations that can really kind of uphold white supremacy tenets. And so um, it's, you know, very interesting when we look at, you know, who was the advisor and author of Title 42. Um, Stephen Miller, we know that he is um, definitely out of his uh, hood and robe. He's uh, been a, a white nationalist for quite some time. So this is not appalling a surprising policy. One of the questions I did want to ask um, the guest that we have on, um, Robert, is, um, is, are you finding success with coalescing um, other groups? There are different people that I follow on social media that are always um, bringing these stories to the forefront because it's not, you know, we don't hear about it until it becomes a political football, so to speak. So I just wanted to find out, are you finding success with other groups that um, maybe don't have the reach um, on their platform to really um, get more people involved around this campaign, so to speak? Yeah. One of the things that we've been working really diligent on is really making this issue something that everybody in their homes, Black people in their homes, can really feel and touch and understand. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why the report that we have really connects the crime, 1994 crime bill, to immigration policies and how it was literally the precursor. And so this report was done by uh, Baji, Black Alliance for uh, Just Immigration, Movement for Black Lives, Law for Black Lives. It brought together also um, the uh, Undocu Black Network, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. a number of also smaller uh, Black immigrant-led um, organizations across the South. Excellent. That's good to hear. Very familiar with Undocu Black and all of the great work that they do. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Reese, uh, why do you think that there's uh, often this lack of focus on immigration issues in the black community? Uh, we tend to see their struggle as being separate from our struggle when often they're hand in hand. It's not as if these same Klansmen are saying, hey, do something bad for, against the black people, but it's okay for the Latinos. It's often one and the same. How can we create a coalition so that we can push forward on both uh, sides of the fence? Well, and there are Black people that are Latinos as well. I think mm-hmm. that there's a xenophobia problem um, within the Black community. Not everybody, obviously, but there are uh, people that, um, I mean, if you look at some of these movements, Alphabet Soup, I'm not going to name them specifically because I ain't got time to deal with them. But there are there are xenophobic pro-Black 
movements even within this country that do a lot to help foster some of this resentment. The Republican Party helps foster the resentment. These people are taking your jobs, et cetera, et cetera. So there are a lot of layers to why um, sometimes the Black community at large, not everybody, but the Black community at large doesn't necessarily identify with the problems plaguing the immigration system. Now, you have some people who don't identify with uh, Black immigrants, but when they see that this, like what happened with the Haitian immigrants and migrants and how they were treated, then they hop on the outrage parade because they just like to be, you know, anti-Democrats or anti-whatever. But, I mean, this is obviously an issue that does impact us greatly because if we talk about the diaspora of Blackness, Blackness is, an, is, is, a, is a global um, first of all, race, but then it's it's a global connection that we have. So, but one of the things I did want to ask is, you know, Title 42, it's a little nuanced. I read reports that essentially because Title 42 is not a legal policy, there aren't necessarily consequences for violating, um, uh, being expelled rather under Title 42. So we see a higher rate of recidivism of people repeatedly coming back to the border under Title 42 as opposed to Title 8. So it seems to me that Title, like that repealing Title 42 could be a double-edged sword if you are actually pro-migrant and you want increased my, my immigration. So can you just kind of talk a little bit about, am I wrong in that or is it more nuanced than that? Because I'm just trying to understand how repealing Title 42, which basically reverts us back to Title 8, where there are increased or there's higher legal penalties for trying to cross, um, actually helps immigrants. Yeah. You know, I, I think that what we have to focus on is that Title 42 altogether is not good, right, for us. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And so when we pull out a little piece that might, you know, it, yeah, it allows you to come back to the border, right? But do we want to just be able to just come back to the border or do we want to stop the deportation, the fast-track deportations in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. That is one of the things that we're really recommending is an end to the fast tracking of deportation, right? Um, Got so, it. Okay. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, Dr. Carl, oh, I you know, I'm cutting you off. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was just, I was just great. Go ahead. No, no, you, you're good. It's good. I don't, I, I can, I can go, I can be long winded at times. So I ask. <laughs> No problem. Dr. Carr, I would, uh, wanted to get your, your thoughts on this because uh, we know that our immigration policy is rooted in xenophobia. The policy created by Stephen Miller was meant to stop this uh, white population decrease that we've seen in America by bringing in more European migrants, deporting more uh, black and brown migrants out of the country. Interesting, we were talking about Georgia Maloney in Italy uh, in the last segment. Uh, she has a similar policy where they're trying to deport African migrants from Italy and bring in more uh, light-skinned, Latin migrants from Central America. Uh, what do you think has to happen in our immigration policy to disconnect it from white supremacy and from uh, xenophobia and root it back into uh, to actual humanity and human rights? Well, I think we have to have global context and then local action. Erica said it. White supremacy is, is worldwide. Uh, to the Ukraine that was uh, punishing black people trying to escape and flee to Russians. Uh, to the United States, who is so concerned about democracy in Ukraine and uh, propping up uh, a puppet named Ariel Henry in Haiti after the previous puppet was assassinated 
um, and uh, to the United States is so concerned about democracy in Ukraine and yet interfering and having coup d'etats by United States trained military cats in places like Mali and Burkina Faso and then invited all them African leaders over here last week so they could sweet talk them into getting that copper and that coal tan and that cobalt. Uh, yeah, I had some questions for Malcolm Nance, but uh, blackness is the, 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 a lot of these people are showing up at the borders because the United States has helped destabilize their countries. And so my question to my dear friend and sister, Rakia Lumumba, who has always been on this wall, I got two questions. I'll ask the second one first. Where can people download this, not download this very important report? And I'm looking at it now. In section four, you uh, have solutions at the federal, state, and local level. So my first question would be, what can the Biden administration, what are y'all recommending the Biden administration do? Um, I see uh, uh, you're talking about temporary protected status. You're talking about extending the uh, Haitian families reunification parole program. What do we need people to be aware of so we can call these Congress people and tell them and call the president of the United States and tell them, do this now. We can do this right now. That's right. That's right. Thank you so much. And it's always good to be on with you. Um, you know, the president should create and expand executive action programs that will provide relief for black immigrants. This includes providing an additional 18-month renewal of temporary protected TPS for Guinea, Haiti, Liberia, Sierra Leone, let's talk about Somalia, Sudan, South Sudan, and other Black-majority countries. We want to see that uh, the government remove convictions as grounds for deportation and or exclusion, included aggravated felonies and drug offenses. You know, we want to see uh, a, res a restoration of judicial discretion and due process for all individuals who come into contact with the criminal law and immigration systems. You know, we want to end permanent deportations, right? We want to see an end to mandatory detentions and an end to police and ICE collaboration programs. Um, what we've seen is an expansion of collaboration programs um, under uh, a Trump administration and, to, and has continued. Um, in many ways. Um, this has resulted in the overcriminalization and profiling and policing of black people uh, on even uh, a suspicion, uh, a suspect to be suspected of being an immigrant. And so we wanna, we wanna see that shift as well. Um, folks can download the report, Criminalizing Blackness at uh, m4bl.org. Uh, click on it. There are additional recommendations in there. And we really go deep into making the connection between the 1994 uh, crime bill and the 1996 immigration laws and the recommendations that our dear brother uh, lifted up that I think will really be a helpful guide. And it's clear, easy language that we can all understand and connect with. And so, with that, are there congressional sponsors for this? Is there pending legislation that looks along these lines? Uh, I'm not the best person to answer that right now, um, but I hope that you'll have some of us back on, some of my colleagues who helped to, to draft this report, um, like Dr. Amara Enya and a couple of other folks that uh, are best to answer. Absolutely. And, and so, Dr. Uh, Dr. Carl, so I wanted to uh, just kind of uh, piggyback on what you were saying, because we have seen very much a, a bipartisan uh, xenophobia and upholding white supremacy in this country. Even when President Obama was in uh, office, they called him the, the deporter-in-chief. How can we That's change true. American policy uh, to actually understand that we need immigrants in this country? If you look at grain populations like Japan and China who need more young people, America will be right there with them if we did not have this infusion of 
immigrants from around the world. We should be happy that people from all around the world want to come here, as opposed to trying to close the door and put them out. How can we change the mindset of America to understand the value of immigration and building up our nation, as opposed to trying to separate us around racial, ethnic, and national lines? Oh, no, Robert, I, I, I don't know if you're asking Rakia. Let me just say very quickly that uh, I, I don't know, where, where do we get this idea that everybody wants to come here? Do we understand? See, the Haitians ended up in Brazil. Remember the World Cup in 2010 was in Brazil? The United States destabilized sequential Haitian governments damn near since the Haitian Revolution. They ain't recognized mm -hmm. Haiti since 18, till 1863. And then they occupied Haiti from 1914 to 1944. And then they put in puppets like the Duvaliers. Haiti had its first unencumbered election in 1990. Then they sent in a CIA group to under undermine that. Then they put the damn UN in after they put Aristide out, and the UN went in there and messed up Haiti again. My point is that Haitians were leaving Haiti, but not because they don't love Haiti, but because they were being forced out by public governments that the United States was propping up. Same thing in Central America, same thing in Latin America. People not coming here because they love George Washington, and they, look, people are coming here because they're being driven out of their countries, and the is stronger, which means the remittances are propping up the people back home that they had to leave, not because they don't love their countries, but because they've been forced out. These are push and pull factors. So I'm saying, let the United States grapple with white supremacy on its terms. We have to fight that fight here. But if we try to fight this fight somehow as Americans and not human beings in a world engaged in a solidarity movement globally with local applications, the United States of America is going to collapse because these white nationalists are not interested in immigrants that look anything other like them. That's never going to change. And if we throw in our lot with them and clap for Vladimir Zelensky and forget the fact that the global South hasn't picked a side in that fight, we are going to go down with these fools. This is another conversation we have to have. Either we're going to get mature in our ability to put foreign policy and domestic policy together, or we're going to implode like the United States of America, because the only kind of immigrants they want, you just heard Rakia say it, the only kind of immigrants they want here look like them. Absolutely. I think that's a great place to close out the show. Thank you so much to all of our guests today. Uh, thank you so much, Erica, to Reese, uh, Dr. Uh, Carr. Thank you to all of our uh, people who joined us. Got to thank also our producers, Ariel, Lisa, uh, Carol, everyone in the control room. Got to thank Roland for letting me sit in for him. I'll be here next week also while Roland is still on vacation. Uh, and look, as I say, the end of the show, in the words of Gil Scott Heron, no matter the consequences, the fears, the grip your senses, you got to hold on to your dreams. Hold on to your dreams, America. Holla. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.